Greetings, ladies and mentalgens, and welcome to this narration of the three-part story taken from Reddit with the author's approval. And, as always, I hope that you enjoy. Part 1. Foreign Curiosities, written by Redshift Razor. Sir Ali, if I may be so bold, where did you get that curious item? It seems that I've piqued your interest. Would you like one for yourself, Corin? I am certainly considering it, though I feel my son would appreciate it better. Little curios like this one are bound to grab his attention, although this one in particular should grab the attention of everyone. Where exactly did you get it from? Like all interesting things, I purchased this item from a hooded vendor in a back alley. The funny thing was, even though this was in an out-of-the-way location, it was still a horde of customers. No one even cared that they couldn't see the vendor's face. Such was the quality of his wares. His wares certainly do seem to be of quality, considering I've never seen something quite like this before. By the Empress, have you ever seen something spin some rotor blades so fast that it could take off? And not only that, that you're controlling it via that little box. The vendor seemingly has a lot more of these as well. Goodness, looks like I'll have to make a visit. Which uh, back alley in particular was it? Do you know where the old hog is? I can't say that I do. Care to point me in the direction? It's a restaurant that's gained a lot of popularity in the past month. Now that the clear spring has been blown up. My goodness, I can't believe it's been almost a month since then. Any word about the perpetrator? They can't have gotten away with it, considering Duke Nukem died in the attack. Rumor has it that it was a blast was generated via non-magical means. Believe it or not, I, I heard people say that absolutely no aether was used, which is why none was detected. But personally, I believe that's nonsense. My theory is that there was a traitor within the capital security force ranks, which is why no aether prime for detonation was detected on the day of the blast. Hmm, that does seem more likely than any other theory. I mean, uh, it is a large blast without aether even possible. Have you heard of such a thing? I honestly doubt it. Uh, regardless, the capital has been on high security since then, so you may have difficulty finding the vendor if you don't go quickly. Considering that they likely don't want to be found, they'll probably find a new spot soon. Okay, then. Uh, so it's the alley near the old hog. Is it in the establishment or behind it? Next to it, walk past for a minute or so and you'll come across the vendor. I'll be sure to remember that. By the way, what exactly is a hog? Can't say that I've ever heard of it before. I think it's a beast from a far off world. Don't worry. Most of us fairies haven't heard of such a beast either. Oh, you just reminded me of something. I've reminded of you of what exactly? Since we're on the topic of far off worlds, have you heard of the rumors about the latest world to be found? Can't say that I have, uh... Please enlighten me, Goran. They say that a student of the Marble Spire University was discovered in a new plane. Usually this wouldn't be a cause for much fanfare, but this plane is different from every other one discovered so far. How so? This one has a minimal aether, yet it traces a fairly advanced civilization that spans multiple worlds. The Buffins are saying that the natives have found a way to utilize a meager aether to create their society which means that they found a way to use Aether far more efficiently than we have. Wow, that's absolutely remarkable. The Council of Acquisition must be drooling over these new people. Increasing Aether efficiency is always important. Though, if they're so efficient, won't they be able to put up a fight? That's the thing, however. The amount of Aether they use is so small that even if they were 100% efficient, they wouldn't be able to put up much of a fight. 
Given the amount of cooperation needed to utilize such a small amount, they probably are peaceful anyway. Wow. A peaceful, cooperative, and innovative people with a high Aether efficiency technology. They'll surely be a great addition to our empire. Perhaps rising up to second-class citizens within a century. Do you have any idea what they're called? Preliminary reports have recently come in from a scout of the Empire has sent. They call themselves uh, humans. The Council of Acquisition is making preparations to invade them as we speak. They'll probably be sent out within the month. Humans, hmm? I look forward to seeing them soon. With us commanding them, the future of our people looks bright. End of chapter. Part 1. If you were to ask most people on what they would see if they went to the fairies' capital world, most would lament that they could not afford to go there, for the price of visiting was more than a non-fairy could ever hope to afford in their lifetimes, or their children's children's lifetimes. While some people were discontent with being ruled by the fair superiors, most were apathetic to being under the fairies' boot. After all, what could they possibly hope to do about it, given their mastery of magic. The same magic that allowed them to live in incomparable luxury, at least when compared to other races. And so, life went on, and most races powerless to stop the fairy advance. It mattered not which race opposed them, as they would be chewed up by the gears of the fairy war machine and spat out as their newest subjects. Mason, do you have a minute? queried Professor Dembe. A slightly concerned look displayed on his face. Bruh! And I missed something in my coursework. I'm sure I double-checked everything. So, what could be wrong? Mason gulped slightly before replying, hoping that all was well. Of, of course, I have a minute. Uh, what is the issue? Well, I looked over the data you gathered from the worlds that you've recently observed, and something seems to be amiss. Oh, crap, what did I figure up now? Could you specify what the problem is, Professor? I'll get to fixing it immediately, replied Mason, with as much confidence as he could muster. The Aetherscope readings for the worlds that you have observed recently are quite strange, to tell the truth. Are you sure you've calibrated it correctly? I would hate for all your work to be rendered irrelevant by an uncalibrated scope. Oh, so that's about that. I knew that I should have clarified the readings on the first page, yet I left it for the footnotes. Either way, it's easily explained. Professor, the worlds that I've recently observed are from a newly discovered plane, where the available aether is minimal. Yet regardless of this, the dominant species of this world have managed to create a civilization. The lights from the surface that are visible at night are evidence of that. The only reasonable explanation that I can think of is that they've managed to find a way to run on a tiny drops of aether available, which speaks of an extraordinary efficiency. Hmm... <laughs> Extremely efficient with Aether, yet they only have a minimal amount of it available, meaning that they won't be able to put up too much resistance to our forces, said the professor, who turned to look at Mason before giving him a hearty smile. Congratulations, Mason. If we verify these readings, this has the potential to be the discovery of the century. Sponsoring you may have been the best decision the Council of Acquisition have made for a long, long time. Mason smiled in return, feeling good at the recognition that he so sorely wanted. Yes, it's only up from here. I wonder if the council is going to give me any land from these worlds when they conquer them. Since you've clearly worked so hard, you can take the rest of the week off. That's roughly how long it'll take to verify these results. So until then, relax, the professor, with the joy in his voice being almost infectious. 
The old man is happier than me. That could only mean good news for me and the department. I'll be sure to relax. Have a good day, Professor. You too, Mason, he replied before turning around and leaving. Mason watched as he closed the door behind him and waited until the professor was far away. Yes, I've made it! I'm gonna be a rich man! He exclaimed while leaping about like a bat out of hell. I should tell my family, but I'll wait until the results are verified. I don't want to put the cough before the, the unicorn. Regardless, there's calls for celebration. He took the opportunity to pen a letter to his close friends and family, in which he invited them all to a clear spring one of the fanciest restaurants in the capital. Usually, he'd wince at the cost, but today was no day to think about prices. After all, he'd soon be a wealthy man. Mason, did you hear the news about the clear spring? queried Ansa, standing at a gigantic five foot three. Ansa was the honor of being the tallest woman in Mason's family, or any family for that matter. However, it vexed him endlessly that the tallest woman he'd ever knew was also his younger sister. Regardless, her size and strength had its uses, and the only cost to using them was Mason's pride. No, I haven't. Was our reservation cancelled? Answered grimaced before answering, which only served to put Mason on edge. Whatever this is, it can't be good. The clear spring was, uh... Well, I was destroyed. Well, huh? It's believed that the five wings struck the restaurant, destroying it, a fairly powerful explosion. I heard that they were targeting Duke Nukem, who sadly perished in the blast. The cogs in Mason's head started turning. How is it that in the capital, Aether Prime for detonation wasn't detected? What's going on? Answer, do you have any idea how they pulled that off? Some of the people have floated the idea of a traitor in the security force, but since there were multiple sensors that should have detected the Aether used, we're stumped. The security chief has called us all in to bolster security and keep the capital safe. All of the non-fairies within the capital have also been detained for questioning. Really? All of them? Is that necessary, given that Duke Nukem, one of the heads of the Council of Acquisition, has passed away? This is the least we should do. Although with great inconvenience to many of us, since the menial work isn't getting done, now all of the non-fairies present have been detained for now. Guess it's going to be a rough few days, huh? Increased security along with a no non-fairy workforce. Mason sighed while he cupped his head in his hands. This is giving me a headache. It was the day of Mason's presentation to the Council of Acquisition, which was the greatest honor that he'd ever received. Consequently, he was incredibly nervous. But the sight of the silver steps to the Great Hall of Conquest stirring even more uncertainty in him. The Great Hall of Conquest was unique due to being one of the few buildings that were managed by the Council of Culture, the Council of Acquisition, and the Council of Preservation. The magnificent building itself was built and managed by the Council of Preservation. The building, which was created from dragon jade and inlaid with dazzling oracalcum, despite the greatest battles from the millennia past. Although the building had stood for a millennia, there wasn't a single blemish to be seen due to the incredibly careful maintenance of the Council of Preservation carried out. On the other hand, the Council of Culture took care of many artifacts and treasures displayed within the hall, whether it was an ancient manuscript from the early days of fairy culture, or a venerated king's crown, any artifact that was held in high regard by the fairies was displayed in the hall. Finally, the Council of Acquisition was responsible for doing the actual conquest, what use was their Hall of Conquest without anyone to do the conquering? 
Mason took a moment to absorb the sight, as it was only a small amount of fairies that were invited. Get your crap together. If you can pull this off, not only will you be a rich man, you could potentially become a lord of the newly conquered race. If you do this right, you'll be wealthier than even your wildest of dreams. Perhaps Her Majesty might notice me as well. Mason took a deep breath and steeled himself before climbing up the steps, making sure to keep his head up and his posture perfect. First impressions were hugely important, after all. The two guards in the front entrance lifted their spears apart and parted ways, giving Mason access to the interior. The council clearly knows who I am. I wonder how thoroughly they vetted me before inviting me here. At this point, they probably know things about me that I don't know about myself. Mason walked inside, spotting a fairy who wore a purple and blue robe with gold trim. The bespeckled person in front of him smiled gently before raising his hand and approaching him. Mason Renner, correct? There was something unsettling about the man before him, yet Mason made sure to smile and maintain eye contact before replying, Yes, I'm Mason Renner. Who do I have the pleasure of speaking to, if you don't mind me asking? That sounded awkward as crap. Keep it together. The man chuckled before replying, No need to be so nervous, Mason. I understand that today is a big day for you, but fried nerves are your enemy. If you want, I have something to help with that. He pulled out a small golden flask and deftly slipped it into Mason's open hand. A single sip should be enough. Mason eyed the flask and wondered what it was, but chastised himself for doing so. Medicine from a council member would most certainly be beneficial. Mason steadied himself and took a sip. He then immediately proceeded to cough and splutter, almost doubling over from the shock of the burning taste. What the feck was that? Why does it taste like fire? Mason almost cursed the man before remembering where he was and who exactly he was talking to. He shut up and stood ramrod straight while bowing his head in apology. Just as he was about to apologize, he heard the man chuckle, which made his curiosity flare up. <laughs> Believe it or not, your reaction was a rather tame one, at least compared to other fairies. Regardless, how do you feel? Have your nerves settled? Mason was about to agree to just please the man before him, but he took a moment to jack himself. To his surprise, he no longer felt nervous or apprehensive. Rather, he felt quite boisterous. What did he just give me? Liquid confidence? The man patted Mason on the back, smiling all the while. It's good stuff, isn't it? It most certainly is, replied Mason, the astonishment in his voice clear to hear. Well then, good luck with your presentation. I know you'll do an excellent job. He turned around to see a man walking off towards the hall's exit. Usually, he would have had the decorum to restrain himself, but in this moment, he was overcome with curiosity. I have to know what that liquid was. Excuse me, sir, I need to know what that was. The man looked at him once more, seemingly evaluating something about Mason. There was ten seconds of silence before the man chose to answer. It is a little something I got from a far-off world, so it'll be difficult to find currently. No, I suspect it'll become easier to obtain soon. Well, what is it called? It's called whiskey, my friend. End of chapter. Mason took slow, steady steps into the presentation room, making sure to keep his mind focused solely on the task ahead of him. It would be the most important thing that he's ever done, after all. 
He came to a parlor door to the meeting room, and first thing he noticed was that it was rather unassuming. The door was made of simple sprite oak, and the handle was unfurnished yet nicely polished silver. Compared to the gold trimmings and encrusted gemstones common in architecture in the capital, the very room with which most influential members of society controlled the vast fairy war machine was rather... plain. I guess military types aren't fond of embellishments, either way. I can't let that distract me, not when I have the most important moment of my life coming up. Mason took a deep breath and knocked on the door three times. A blue sigil that he had never seen before flashed three times, seemingly in response to his knocks. Near may enter, he heard a feminine voice call out, seemingly coming from all around him. Usually, he'd be confused, but as he knew who exactly he was dealing with, he chose to say courteous and do as instructed. He raised his hand on the surprisingly cold handle and gently pushed it downwards until he heard a click. With one final deep breath, he stepped into the dimly lit room. The first thing that drew his attention was that the interior of the room was also sparsely decorated, the furnishings seemingly being rather spartan, with the sole exception of the meeting table in the center of the room. On it were thousands and thousands of miniature carvings, each one representing a world conquered by the fairies, each one a world civilized by the Empire. Every single carving was also densely packed with gratuitous amounts of aether, which greatly confused Mason. Dutch carving, and the answer to your question will be clear to see. A low, rumbling voice called out. Mason walked up to the table and did so dodging a carving depicting the conquest of what looked like a plant-like race. His vision suddenly blurred, and when he refocused a couple of seconds later, it seemed that he was no longer in a meeting room. He was in the middle of a raging battle. All around him he could see a group of animated trees, each one towering twenty feet tall. Each one was being handled by a group of fairy soldiers, and though each tree was formidable, there was only so much that they could do when dealing with the fairy's superior magic. The trees were set ablaze by fairies, yet even that didn't seem to deter them from the fight. Instead, many trees took the opportunity to leap into the center of fairy ranks and swing their burning limbs around, causing as much damage as possible at the cost of their own lives. However, there was only so much each tree could do as each one was burned down or cut apart. Their numbers dwindled further and further, until there was none left on the battlefield. Even the tree's artillery that was stationed nearby was completely destroyed. By this point, the stench of blood and sap was overwhelming. Yet Mason couldn't keep his eyes off the titanic wooden citadel he saw in the distance. That must be what they're fighting for, what they wanted to protect. He saw a dozen squadrons of dragonfly fighters quickly approaching the citadel, one carrying a large amount of aether primed for detonation. It dawned on him what he would soon witness to. And so, a wave of guilt washed over his body. Nevertheless, he was overshadowed by a grim mix of resolve, acceptance, and thrill. That's what they get for pointlessly resisting us, I suppose. At the very least, their lives would be better as a part of our empire. Mason chose to look on and take everything in. He didn't even dare to blink as the dragonflies released their payload onto the citadel. Condensed balls of aether were falling towards his targets, and the split second before they detonated, Mason raced himself. 
Time itself seemed to stand still as titanic flames engulfed the citadel briefly, which was quickly followed by an enormous, all-consuming explosion. The citadel was destroyed completely, with the explosion being so powerful that the heat was almost unbearable from where Mason was standing many miles away. Mason took a few steps forward, intending to get a closer look at the former citadel, which was now a mere crater. Yet his vision blurred once again. He was back in the meeting room, except this time it was on the presence of twelve different fairies, all of which were closely observing him. Do you know what you just saw? questioned the tallest, most well-built one of the bunch. Mason realized that he was the same one who ordered him to touch the carving in the first place. My goodness, is that General Hiss? He had better get this right, or who knows what might happen to me. Mason cleared his throat before replying, I uh, believe that it was a conquest of Turin, which took place ten years ago, specifically the Battle of Tenmar Forest, which was a final blow to the Orion people, who had put up a remarkably difficult fight. The general nodded in reply and spoke once more, Why do you think I chose to show you that? Although Mason wasn't completely sure, he could make an educated guess. I believe that you are trying to show me that consequence of obtaining new worlds for the Empire without adequate information gathering. What precisely do you mean? The general queried. Mason was now getting into his stride, so he answered quickly. The Orion people were famously tenacious, and in the opening stages of the war they managed to deal a fair number of heavy blows to us, mainly because we were unaware of the spore magic that they used to infect and kill many of our soldiers. Although we quickly adapted to this, if we were aware of this from the beginning, many fairy soldiers would have survived the conflict. An older man approached Mason this time, nodding his head seemingly in agreement. He looked entirely unassuming, with the sole exception of the fleet admiral's crest in his breast pocket. This time, he chose to speak. And so, you are aware of the value of information, aren't you? From the preliminary report we have received from your university, the worlds you have discovered are in a plane with minimal aether, yet they've seemingly managed to build a flourishing civilization. I assume your report includes how this is possible, along with any ways they could have potentially weaponized the aether available to them. Yes, sir, Mason replied confidently. I've included all the ways they could have weaponized it, along with an estimation of the culture and the litany of other details. Well, let's get on with it, shall we? Called out General Moletta, a distinguished lady who was famous for her cool head during battle. Mason nodded in reply and stood at the podium on the opposite side of the room. This is going to take a while, so I advise that you get comfortable. And so, to summarize what I said, they are almost certainly a peaceful people, as their level of cooperation needed to utilize such an abysmal amount of aether is unheard of. This would ideally mean an easy conquest. However, they are most likely stronger and taller than us, as that is the trend in planes with less aether, due to their biology having to adapt to such conditions. Nevertheless, this also means that they are far less individually capable of using magic than us fairies, even if their constructs were completely efficient, this wouldn't be enough to combat us due to our people having access to far more of it. My advice would be to immediately target their aether constructs, 
as it would cripple whatever wartime capability such as evidently peaceful people would have. Thank you all for the opportunity to present to you this information. Mason bowed before everyone present, hoping that his presentation went off without a hitch. Apparently it did, given the applause they were giving him. He heard a few of those present talk to each other in hushed tones, probably discussing how they were going to divvy up these newly discovered worlds. General Hurst approached him once more, this time with a smile on his face. Mason opened his mouth to speak, but the general raised a hand to cut him off. Please, you've done enough for the Council of Acquisition, so just relax. Kudos, by the way. This is looking to be the best addition to the Empire in a long, long time. Perhaps the best addition ever, but we have yet to see what exactly this new civilization is capable of. You'll most certainly receive something significant for your discovery. Perhaps even a title from the Empress herself. How do you like the sound of that, Lord Mason Renner? That might be the most beautiful combination of syllables that I have ever heard. I am... I am generally don't know what to say, sir. It's fine. You'll have time to take it in. Regardless, I wanted to talk to you about the actual upcoming conquest, or rather, what comes afterwards. These people are clearly innovative, so I think that we shouldn't be too harsh on them when we take over. Otherwise, who knows what they could come up with. Are you suggesting that we might lose, sir? Mason replied, shocked that a member of the Council of Acquisition would ever suggest such a thing. Mason, losing is always a possibility. Just because we haven't suffered a defeat doesn't mean that we won't ever be defeated. After all, it was that mentality that led to the Orients dealing us many painful blows, said the general, with an air of seriousness around him. I guess being this high up in the military as him counts as his own stresses, huh? I've never even thought that a fairy general would ever consider losing. I guess I should be as meticulous as possible when it comes to researching these new people. At the very least, to ease the mind of General Hurst. Of course, sir. I will conduct further research into this new world and immediately inform you of the results. Good lad, he replied, while patting Mason's shoulder at the same time. Sir, if I may, what is your opinion on this new people? The general took a few seconds to process the question looking at the fall while doing so. Perhaps in time they could ascend to a second-class citizens, due to their peaceful nature and innovativeness. If they found a way to utilize such meager aether, who knows what else they could think of. At the very least, the conquest of their world should lead to a few orders of magnitude increase in aether efficiency. Hmm, sounds like a cookie-cutter answer. I wonder if I can get the truth out of him. Is that really what you think, sir? General Hurst looked at Mason directly, which caused his hairs to stand on end. Okay, crap, D- did, I, did I fuck up? He's angry. Better fix this, and quickly. I, I, I'm sorry, sir, my question was extremely preserved. The general raised up a hand once again to cut Mason off. No, that isn't what I really think. I think that this would be a difficult conquest on a level of the Orions, though if I say so to my peers, few will listen. And so, the most I can do is try and keep the soldiers under my command alive. Mason was shocked, still by the earth-shattering revelation. However, a strange sense of morbid curiosity took over him. May I ask why you think so, sir? General Hurst took a swig of his golden flask. Mason recognized the faint smell, as it was the same as the liquid that the strange man offered him earlier. It's my gut feeling, Mason. I've got gut feeling that there's something strange about this one. And my gut has never failed me before. End of chapter. 
Mason watched the aethercraft in the skies of the capital, marveling at both the beauty of the ships and the amount of compressed aether present in each one of them. The ships were doing their customary parade through the capital skies before they went into battle, which always raised morale amongst the fairies present. Each one resembled a golden arrowhead with complex inscriptions carved into the hull of each one. They seemingly sliced through the air, with the smaller ones gracefully circling the Impre capital ships. And to think they're going soon to conquer what I discovered. I did all of that. Mason looked towards the street from the balcony from which he perched on, mirthfully observing the cheering fairies in the streets below. He saw many of them looking up at the astonishment and wonder, especially the younger ones. I guess that's how the Council of Acquisition keeps the number of soldiers up. Who wouldn't want to be on board one of those, conquering new worlds in the name of the Empire? Bro, did you hear about who would be heading the fleet? queried Ansa, who had a hot cup of tea in her hand. Can't say that I have, Mason replied, not taking his eyes off the fleet in the sky. It's going to be Admiral Harvey, who has the honor of conquering the first world in their plane, apparently. I don't know too much about the details, but it looks like it'll be a fruitful campaign. Ansa put down the drink in her hand and reached into a purse pulling out a strange item. Mason eyed it curiously, wondering what the item could be. She walked up to him and put a rather large box in his hands, which only served to make him even more interested. No, and by the way, I bought you something. Congratulations, brother. I always knew that you'd do something amazing. Thanks to you, our family has a bright future. So go on, open the box. Mason didn't need to be told twice. He proceeded to open the box with haste. The item inside the box confused Mason, which was apparent to his sister. What the hell is this? Some kind of a miniature carriage. But why does it look so strange? Since you're going to be very wealthy soon, I figured that you wouldn't want an overly expensive gift. You always liked your gizmos, anyhow. So I think you'll appreciate this. Well, uh, what exactly is it? I can't say that I've ever seen something like this, if I'm being honest. It's called a remote-controlled carriage. You use that little box with the buttons on it to control where it goes. Pretty cool, huh? Mason was already testing out the item, making it drive in circles on the floor. This is remarkable. I've never seen anything like this. Where in the world did you get this answer? I can't say that I've ever seen anything like this. Answer chuckled before she gave a reply. We received a report of someone selling illicit goods, so we went to crank down on them. However, just as we arrived at the location, we saw the seller leap clean over the alley wall with most of his goods in tow. She sat down next to Mason and took a sip of her drink before continuing. I've never seen someone jump that high, which says a lot about how the guy in question didn't want to be arrested. My theory is that he managed to steal some experimental items from a Magitech company, which is why he fled as fast as he did. He did leave this item behind, though, and since I know you like Gizmos, I decided to give it to you. Mason chuckled heartily at the story and told while giving her a hug in the process. Well, that's the life of a security officer, I suppose. You're bound to see all kinds of wacky people. Thanks for the gift, by the way. I'll be sure to use it to its full potential. No problem, bro. Just be sure to remember your poor sister when you get gifted some land, she slyly replied, which calls Mason to laugh even more. Okay, I'll be sure to give you a little, but just don't waste it in pointless things, all right? His sister grunted affirmatively in reply. Mason returned to watching the people in the street below, who were still cheering for the fleet above them. I wonder if the natives of my domain will one day cheer me like this.
Admiral, we've arrived at the border between planes. What are your orders? Queried the ensign on the bridge. Admiral Harvey looked at the magic crystal embedded in the control panel next to him, hoping that there would be an influx of additional information to lessen his uneasiness. Yet, it never came. What came instead was an order to press forwards. We advance. We will take the world called New Harvest in the name of the Empress, and in doing so gain the best kind of honor, the kind that you can only receive in battle. Though the Admiral was slightly shaky on the inside, it certainly didn't reflect on his statement, which was a resounding success if the raucous applause was anything to go by. Calm yourself. General Hurst may have his reservations about this invasion, but this won't be too difficult. There's only so much you can do with the meager Aether available, after all. Which reminds me, I should check on the status of the Aether supply lines. Admiral Harvey straightened himself and took measured steps to his communication center on the bridge. After all, if he appeared confident, his subordinates will also gain confidence. And during war, assurance is vital. Novel, sir, update me on the status of the Aether supply lines, he said in a commanding tone. The one address complied immediately, bringing up a rejection of the supply lines, along with all of the council ships in the area. Although we are being impeded by having to lay down a channel of Aether, we still seem to be making steady progress to the world in question. Security around the channel itself has been optimal. Furthermore, there seems to be no attempt by the enemy to slow us down, which is evident by the lack of Aethercraft attempting to intercept us. Everything is progressing smoothly, Admiral. The Admiral looked at the officer's data to corroborate his statement, which seemed to be completely right. He kept on looking at it, hoping to find something that the officer missed. Wait, one of those objects darting about? That can't be right. Officer, I see multiple objects within the vicinity of the ship with changing velocities. What's going on? Why didn't you inform me about this? He asked severely, which caused the officer to flinch. Well, I didn't inform you because we didn't detect any aether from those objects, so there can't possibly be enemy vessels. I've informed the science officer of this phenomenon, and they seem to believe that this is a natural phenomenon which occurs in planes with minimal aether. Supposedly, that causes what would normally be stationary asteroids to other planes to change velocities and move in geometric patterns in this one. The Admiral stood there motionless for a few seconds, dumbfounded by what he heard. Officer... Have you considered the possibility that those might be enemy craft that we're looking for? He calmly asked, hoping that the officer would have taken at least some kind of initiative. Well, yes, but since there's zero aether coming from them, how could they be enemy ships? I want visuals on that object now! The bridge jumped to work instantly, making sure that the Admiral's orders were fulfilled immediately, lest they draw his ire. Sure enough, he had visuals on the object six seconds later. The realization of what was to come slowly dawned on the Admiral, which caused his stomach to drop. By the Empress, those are ships. Multiple enemy ships. The data provided showed that there were hundreds of these vessels rapidly approaching the Admiral's fleet. He took a deep breath and approached the center of the bridge, mentally preparing himself for what would likely be a grueling battle. However, any fear he felt momentarily was quickly replaced by a steely determination. I knew it wasn't going to be easy. Shields up! End of story. Just a quick shout out to the T5 peeps. Bob the Dragon, Cat Crab Lobster, Data Magnet, Dark Machine, Bezik, Try Again 95, Feudic Yol, Astrea the Dreamer, Caspar Arnholtz, Cam Maxwell, Athelia, Meridian 117, and Jordan Buxmorm. Thank you very much. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed. 
There are links down below both to support this channel and for the author of this fiction. Anyways, I hope you all have a fantastic one, and I'll see you next time. Cheers.